This is Republic of INSEAD, the 20 years later O3D podcast edition. I am Milena Ivanova and will be your host in this limited series. So, here we are, 20 years later, hopefully all the wiser, naturally smarter and as charming as ever. There were 432 of us in the O3D vintage. And certainly, there are 432 unique and very interesting personal and professional stories to tell. While I cannot physically cover all, I have tried to make a selection of stories that will keep you interested and curious and will hopefully convince you to join us on campus for reunion. Welcome to the Republic of INSEAD podcast edition and enjoy the show. Oops, I've done it again thought it's time to stir things up a bit. So today I have two guests. Let's let's hear from them. You who shall not be named, please go ahead. None of us are likely to quickly forget someone with such a presence or such a laugh. Anywhere and everywhere, he was there in the forefront. Front row centre in P1 to to coordinating the private equity conference in P3. Yes, that's his excuse for the infrequency of his cameo appearances in class. To crowd surfing dancing on tables and performing backflip off stages as well. Pick any party, really. He tackled all of his activities with energy, humour, creativity and flair, incurring rugby industry injuries well into the third half, selflessly offering his modelling services to the September class, stretching his culinary talents to their limits and repeatedly demonstrating his late-night exhibitionist tendencies. With him, one thing can be assured, you'll never know for sure what's coming next. Where will he be in 20 years? Undoubtedly in the spotlight. No kidding. And can we hear now from the one with the unforgettable presence, please? When not flying around the globe making international appearances, DJ Mikey has been the icon of the Fonty Forest boogie scene. Adored by the women, envied by the men, not to mention the boars. He made sure there was no lack of shaking it this year at INSEAD. He's heartlessly left his fans at London clubs to pursue an independent venture, Club Auberge. As his fame spread over campus... You've seen him spinning at white, veal surf, asphalt, and if you're really lucky, you've seen him demonstrate some suave moves of his own, including the donkey. The VIP legend and mastermind behind the Auberge parties has occasionally been seen to pursue serious projects, such as to bring them, uh, bring us them global leaders and plot uh, the winter ball. With classic British wit and impressive drinking stamina, this snappy dressing, smooth operator has been nothing but a delight to be around. Well, there you go. If you didn't know who my guests are, now you, I'm sure, pretty much everyone knows. I must say it's the first readout in which someone asked where will someone be in 20 years, and whoever wrote this was spot on. He's still in the spotlight, right? One way or the other. So welcome to both of you. And... um, I've invited you, uh, my motivation, and I must say I've been chasing these two like crazy. Last I spoke to them was that they were at the Glastonbury Festival. But anyhow, my interest in them is the fact that they've been in business together from pretty much day one after INSEAD. So that's going to be the focus of, uh, of, well, that's the focus of my interest. But let's hear from them and what you've been up to the last 20 years together, separately, etc. All yours. Mike, why don't you kick off? You tell the whole story and then I can just fill in the gaps. You can, you can just <laughs> do the, the highlights. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, thanks, Milena. Uh, wonderful to be here. I don't think I've lived up to that, the billing in the uh, alumni yearbook. So that's uh, sorry to say. So I've got a great INSEAD story. So back when we were doing Welcome Week in Fontainebleau um, and, you know, what happy days they were with all the nutters winding us up, I went to a dinner on the first uh, random dinner. Do you remember those at the end of the first week with some with some second years? Very, very fancy chateau. And I thought, this is great. The two people sitting next to me at dinner on my left was a sort of quite a loud American guy telling us about how he'd rallied around Europe in, in various sports cars. They're very much the centre of attention. Uh, and on my right was an incredibly good-looking, well-spoken English girl who drove a convertible, brand-new convertible BMW. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah, happy to say I went into business with one of them and married the other one. So, you know, for me, INSEAD has been a very um, a very important part of my life. Well, what? Okay, I guess Ricky's not my story is very intertwined. But 
uh, after INSEAD, I, I, I did a bit of corporate stuff. I knew I didn't want to be a management consultant and a, or a lawyer or um, a banker like everyone else. So uh, I went into uh, M&A. I worked for News Corp for a bit, worked for WPP for a bit. And then Ricky and I, who was uh, – Ricky was in New York working for his brother. Don't think that was really working out. And we were constantly talking about wanting to do something together. So we had quite a lot of discussions. We actually got together with another guy who we should tip our hats to, a guy called Nick Day, who I do done realizing entrepreneurial potential with, which is a great INSEAD course, actually. Thoroughly recommend it to anyone who wants to go and be an entrepreneur. Yeah, and, and Ricky, Nick, and myself decided we'd go into business together. I'm going to hand it over to Ricky then. <laughs> And the rest is history, as they Excellent. say. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, tell, tell the story, Ricky. What do we do next? Uh, sure. So, um, so, 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 so it was, it was actually pretty exciting, exciting times for all of us. Uh, I had, as as Mike just referred to, uh, come out of a slightly abusive relationship with my brother. Although actually, we did pretty good business together, and the business still exists, and I still share it. We were doing circular economy telecoms in in developing world. Uh, I, I knew when uh, he threw the entire telephone at me, it smashed through a thirty second story New York window, and I went out in the pavement. That maybe this was not going to be uh, the perfectly uh, peaceful business relationship that I'd once hoped for. And 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 my my wife, who were well, now wife, then girlfriend Susie, who was there in the room at the time decided that maybe us hanging out in New York in a one-bedroom apartment with my brother probably wasn't the best way to uh, pursue either marital or business harmony. Uh, so when I came back, I was, uh, I, I was sitting down and chatting to various folks about starting new businesses. And Mike and uh, Nick were super excited, having written this business plan and realizing uh, entrepreneurial potential, which, uh, of course, which, which did breed a couple of businesses. Uh, I believe that's where, the, where Olivier's Silverware Empire began uh, in RP as well, uh, but their plan and, was and and the mineral water as well. Didn't the mineral water come from that? V water. I can't remember if that was actually there, but I remember discussing V water oh. early with Walter uh, and and the guys. It was uh, uh, Walter and Chris. But yeah, uh, another great partnership, which you should definitely get on the podcast. By the way, chasing them, but they're You're chasing I'll send them in. I'll send them. I'll send them a WhatsApp and get them. Poke them anyway. And um, so, so the plan at the time uh, was: Hey, we we got this industry that we don't really understand. Well, we thought we they they might understand something about remittances. We were gonna uh, we were gonna take over the remittance industry. Uh, this was you know as as a migrant myself from the U.S. You know, and Nick Day migrant from Scotland. I think uh, Mike marginally migrant from Scotland. <laughs> Uh, we we felt we had a lot of affinity with these customer group and and knew everything about it. So we built built a great business plan. Uh, we ended up actually acquiring a series of money transfer businesses. Some people know the story, but about eleven businesses over about seven years and built uh, what was a pretty substantial, probably fourth fifth biggest um, remittance company in the world. So um, uh, it was a a story with many, many stories within it. I don't know, Mike, whether there's anything that's worth sharing, depending on how much time we have, uh, any particular tidbits that you enjoyed along that along that way. Well, it was, it, was, it was a good way of learning what not to do, wasn't it? I remember we were buying these really quite, in some cases, dodgy companies, trying to tidy them up, desperately trying to raise money at the same time as buy companies, never having the money to buy them, but never having the companies to buy and sort of trying to get that trade-off are uh, working i remember relentlessly data entering bank statements or getting on the 5 a.m Euro, um easy jet flight to different parts of europe and, and turning up with my pitch deck and trying to persuade people to sell our sell us their companies it was a bit of it was a bit of a come down from being sort of the head of m a at news international so that was definitely <laughs> that was definitely well, wasn't, wasn't it wasn't like that at myspace the, yeah yeah well there's a little bit more money floating around that business, but uh, yeah, no, it's brilliant, and and we we learned a lot. We took on probably took on too much debt. Do you remember that? You know, yeah. one week we were having dinner in the in the sort of CEO's office at, at Barclays, and they'd written us a big senior debt line, and then the financial crisis came, and they sort of took us into the basement and beat the living crap out of us because we'd breached yeah. the covenants, and you know, a whole bunch of sort of series of rides. Um, you know, I guess the 
it's it's a phenomenal way to it, it was pretty destructive to everything except for you know the business itself it, it took an awful lot out of us i think so um, yeah there was yeah, a good was moment to, there there was a good business partner moment there when uh the the, the head of the barclays restructuring team walked in the room and said this is now my company and i got quite angry and nearly threw a table at him and mike escorted me gently out of the room and said ricky i think i might take over the negotiation from here uh so you know there were those there were those there were those excellent moments when when partnership comes in handy i remember another one actually yeah. when I think, uh i think mike and was it you and me mike had just had a first kid and uh we were so tired having not slept for about five nights. We sort of, we basically said, uh, you know, hey, Nick, I think you're going to need to take over this board meeting from here and both put our heads on the table and pretty much went to sleep in the board meeting. So, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of times when business partners. No, no, that was actually you and Nick. I didn't have was a kid. No, you took on the because board I was, Because I was, I was, I was off in Spain running all these companies that you'd bought while you were like pleading that you, you had children. So you couldn't actually do the the weekly commute to madrid if, which I, yeah. I so these guys freaking phoned me up on my on my honeymoon i didn't give anyone the details of the hotel phoned me up at three o'clock in the morning phoned me on my bed and i think out in where was it it was in patagonia somewhere and said look my we've got this fantastic company we're going to buy it but the problem is both nick and i are having going to have a baby soon obviously taking ownership of that baby one so we're not going to be able to go and run it. Will you? Will you go out and uh, will you live in Spain for a bit and and go and run this company? <laughs> to which I said maybe, which was t- taken to be a yes. Company got acquired, and I flew I flew back from um, Latin America, and then Monday following Monday was out in Madrid trying to turn this thing around that they bought. So yeah, no, with tag teamer, I guess we'd put it. Dynamic. Lots of interesting stories about that. Very dynamic. So. But yeah, no, no. If I take one thing from all that stuff, it's 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 actually about doing doing business with people, um, with with having a business partner, uh, and that's very important. I'm sure we'll come back to this at the end of the podcast. But you know, it's basically business appears to be, from my experience, you know, twenty smacks in the face um, and one little tickle, and it's um, having somebody to go through those, getting smacked in the face with uh, every day for the, you know for years and years and years. It's, it's important to have somebody along um, for the ride. And occasionally enjoy the tickle, you know. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Last, nice last, last, last weekend, for example. Yeah, yeah. No. We're not going right, to talk about those tickles. So, what happened after Small World? You oh. clearly didn't get tired enough, right? Because well, we did take yeah. a little bit of time, but not oh, very yeah, much. Someone was in Bali, right? And I was taking tips from you about <laughs> Bali, and then I, I wasn't. I wasn't. It wasn't an altogether popular maneuver because Mike was not in Bali. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's why I said something. But actually, I caught him. I caught him. I think it was at the five-year reunion, and I said, "Mike, I'm thinking about going to Bali for 18 months." And he was in. It was the ten. Year. It was. It was ten the ten-year reunion. So happy and to you, see everyone. Turned out with a ridiculous. Turned up with a ridiculous beard, and said, "I've been in Bali for six months. I'm thinking about doing another year. Are you okay to hold the fort?" And I think I probably had a couple of beers um, at this point, and I was like, uh, uh, uh. Oh, that's a yes. Brilliant. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, great. No, no, good. No, so what happened What happened after um, Small World? Well, um, Ricky and I both partially exited, and then we sort of did a full exit a few years later. Uh, we set up another business called Asimo, and that was basically uh, our, our sort of trying to surf the, um, the technology and the app wave iphone had recently come out and so in 2012 we set up a business that was allowing people to send money rather than from sort of store, stores and call centers a la western union uh much more on your mobile phone a la, uh, another great INSEAD founder business like wise or uh, a remitly or a, a world remit so um yeah again still still in financial services still regulated and still involving consumers and, and money so i guess a consumer fintech called asmo I ran that business uh, for eight years, and then I hired a guy from PayPal as the CEO and, and moved to executive chairman. Uh, lots of lots of stories relating to that. I don't think Ricky and I were very good at building software when we first started that business. Um, uh, I think we're slightly marginally better at building it now. But tech is uh, building good software is is hard, and the iteration and the sort of the way of building good software. I think we learned along the way actually just sold that business last year to a large Israeli tech company called Papaya Global, which was a phenomenal outcome, actually. 
it was a great deal. Uh, everyone was very happy. My investors, um, my team, and me actually, and, and hopefully we can do so. No, but and and it's an interesting one actually. And 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 coming back, um, I'll, I'll fill in the bits I was up to at the same time as well, but uh, with Mike. Uh, but 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 it but it was interesting because it was definitely you know that exit process. While it was a fantastic end story, obviously any deal is super hard, and so you know it's those moments when it's really important to be there for your business partner and and sort of work through what's a pretty emotional journey selling something you built up over a long period of time. And similarly, uh, you know, when I left, so the bit, the bit I missed out is obviously Mike and I were sitting down when I got back from Bali or actually in part when I was going back and forth to Bali and, and, and again, sitting, sifting through a list of what we were going to do next, which we'd done pre Asmo as well. And, and we had some, some crazy ideas on the list, but, uh, but possibly one of the stupidest was, was starting a bank. You know, the, the logic being we'd been working our way through, financial services, you know, there's been a lot of disruption and payments. We've done that for a few years. You know, we looked at, at some peer-to-peer lending businesses, made some angel investments and, and, you know, but really retail banking hadn't, hadn't been disrupted at all. And so we were like, how do we, how do we, how do we take advantage of what we think is going to be a wave of disruption that hits this part of the, um, uh, of the fintech um, ecosystem uh, next? Um and and as usual, um, our timing was impeccable. Um, actually, I think it was Mike and I, or uh, um, basically uh, around September, um, and I won't even remember the year at this point, but it would have been circa 2010. Um, uh, and we, when we sat down, we were like, actually, screw this, let's start a bank. Uh, and 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 then then we obviously had to figure out how to go about that. So we went and hooked up with a guy, Matt Cooper, who was a, one of the founders of Capital One and had set up a bank, a Capital One bank in Europe and in the UK. And so started the licensing process for the bank, which was not altogether a, uh, a simple, simple matter. And actually, in fact, at the end, in the last probably eight months in Bali, I was working on the application process for the bank. Uh, maybe maybe not working quite as hard as I might be if I was back in the UK, but uh, but trying my best. And uh, and Mike was coming along to meetings with me along with Matt uh, as we tried to to navigate the bank application process. So um, that um, uh, th- that that turned into a a marginally uh, interesting story uh, with with plenty plenty more learning, plenty more learning. I'm sure I'm sure when we started our first business together, we were like. God, this is the learning one, and we're just going to smash it all the way through the rest of them. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't quite turned out that way. It continues to be a learning experience. Turns out there's new shit to learn every time. Okay, and that brings us bang up to date. A couple of other things. So these days, Ricky's got a couple of businesses on the go, and I'm obviously a shareholder in those, and we were on the board together. I'm doing a bit of VC investing for a couple of funds, a couple of funds actually that back Tandem and Asimo. And then we do lots of angel investing. And actually, that's one of the most rewarding things, uh, I think, for me personally, is, you know, working with younger founders in, in an area that we maybe know a little bit about um, and, and can be helpful in. So, yeah, we, that's uh, that's currently. And if you ask me where I thought I'd be um, 20 years after INSEAD, I, I think I, I've, I've, I've definitely, largely because of Sophie, my wife, who I met in INSEAD, and, and Ricky, my business partner, who I also met in INSEAD. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's 10 times better space than I could see. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy. And how many dogs, kids, cats, any of this or you want to share? Yeah, I've got uh, two daughters who are amazing, but they're they're entering teenage, which has its own challenges. Uh, one, well, one 12-year-old and one 15-year-old. Uh, one that was uh, a redhead now is a bleach blonde and black head uh, with uh, with with a lot of nose piercings, and uh, um, and, and I'm uh, and I've also got a little dog who's actually a matchy matchy dog with me has a ginger and gray beard uh, now um, now he's grown up a bit uh, he's a cavapoo called Jumble and still with Susie and still I mean a lot of interns will visited me in London uh, you know I'm still in Primrose Hill. So uh, yeah, kind of um, pretty uh, pretty settled. That's all worked out well on the on the family front as well. So um, yeah, that's that's what's going on. And you, Nick, and you, Mikey boy, me, 
Yeah. Yeah. So I've got uh, I've got two kids. Uh, Martha, who's thirteen. Stanley, who's ten. Both good kids. Stanley's cricket mad. Martha is, uh, loves dancing, but she's also just getting into those uh, those fun teenage years um, where she's starting to get interested in in all the joys of life. So yeah, that's that's where we are. I haven't got dog yet. I'm sure that's it's fine. I'm sure it's in the that's in fine. the tubes, as they say. <laughs> all right. So tell me, when did you know that you want to have a business partner, each of you, and then what? have been advantages and disadvantages of doing it together with a partner as opposed to going it alone? I, I do remember INSEAD t- teaching me that if you want to go into business, with, it's, it's better to do it with a partner. And I can't actually, I thought it was REP that taught me that, but I th- it was sort of something I saw played out a number of times. You know, that the one thing I've learned over the years, well, not thinking about a few things, but it's, it's definitely the... Um, the journey is the destination. And by by that, I mean, you know, you're going to spend 10, in this case, 20 years building businesses, hopefully another 10 or 20 years ahead of us building businesses. It's not actually when you hit the liquidity moment and the, you know, either the company's no longer yours or the money lands in the bank account or, you know, you sign the docs, or whatever it happens to be, that sort of that moment is very fleeting. And actually what sticks with you is the, you know, the, the, the good times and the bad times that you've had over the years and years and years you work together. And I think doing that on your own would be, would be very lonely. Somebody to share the highs and the lows with, I think, is super important. I also think it's, it's kind of like if you are a single founder, and I, I've, I've backed a few of them and I've you know, talked to others, you've either got to be you know, in, just made up differently somewhere on the spectrum and yeah i wasn't gonna say that but yeah you're 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 somewhere on that spectrum not maybe that's a psychopathy spectrum i think you call it sociopathies though don't you it's more powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah i think um, it's very tough and also it you know the you can't counteract the erosion of sort of the, the the stress on your relationship having somewhere separate that's kind of like that's not your team um that's not your shareholders that's not your sort of life partner to take a lot of this stuff and generally it is like you know it's quite stressful you know just big decisions to be made it's quite lonely at the top of these organizations so having a business partner has been great um i never really counted it's not having one and actually it's one of the things when i talk to you know other entrepreneurs or, or people are pitching to me about you know raising capital or, or wanting to build businesses I'm, I'm always interested to know what is the dynamic in terms of the, the, the founder and business partner dynamic because i think it's a really important one so yeah no i never really thought about doing it in fact i probably wouldn't have done it on my own i don't know whether it was nick or ricky that really sort of you know kicked me into it but yeah i, I don't think it was that doing it on my own was never really an option yeah and i i went into business with my brother and and, and that that was that was trickier than i thought before before mike but no i i think uh yeah the partnership aspect is is super important and i sort of echo what mike said but say it slightly differently as well which is you know one of the things and one of, one of the things i frankly i liked about mike and the reason i wanted to go into business with him was you know he had a healthy set of values particularly in terms of fact like that winning wasn't measured just by the money or the you know fame or the other stuff but actually by you know, having a great set of friends, enjoying good times with them and having really quality relationships in your life. And, you know, Mike's got a super broad group of, of, of super cool friends who would now sort of consider my friends apart from when they call me a random business partner. No, but, uh, um, and, uh, and so, you know, realizing that, you know, along the way, at every step of the way, making sure you don't sacrifice those friendships, relationships, making sure you stop to enjoy the time with your team to enjoy the time you know uh, just the time you know with time with your business partner celebrate things you know little things because the as mike says like those huge celebratory moments are almost like super weird kind of double-edged swords in it always like there's never a kind of just straight hands in the air oh my god i've sold it because if you build this thing for like 10 years if you sell it absolute you get a huge chunk of money and but you um equally there's 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 departure and separation from teams and other things so there's there's lots going on there and and so it's making sure that you just you know keep your head above water and realize that winning you know winning's not the uh winning's not the business it's not the money it's not the fame it's winning is 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 coming out of all that with you know with with some awesome friendships and uh and having enjoyed enjoyed the ride because that's a bit like 
in a marriage, no? Fight. I mean, we definitely had arguments. We definitely been pissed off with one another for long periods of time. <laughs> we, we ever have really had a proper fight? I kind of feel like I did have fights with my brother, like actual physical fights with my brother. So yeah, I can confirm I have fought with the business partner, but I think they primarily started his end. But yeah, have we ever fought, Mike? There's there's a bit there's a bit at the end when I think you ask you ask about any regrets. But um, I I was pretty pretty sort of angry, passionate in my earlier entrepreneurial activities and i think yeah i definitely remember times that we had quite strong disagreements and exchanges frank exchanges of views <laughs> but generally yeah no we haven't and these days yeah it's we, we kind of know how each other operates so yeah it's um all quiet on the western front as they say yeah i don't think we, we never swung fists i mean i think there were definitely some no, shouting no. moments but we both shout a bit anyway so it's kind of like it was fine <laughs> all right <laughs> So, top lessons learned from all the ventures, the successes and the failures on the way. What would be your top three, each of you? <clears throat> <laughs> you got a really wide-eyed look there, Mike. Top three. No, no. I, I, I mean, I, I have a, I have a bunch. Ricky is super, really one of the best people I know about identifying, you know, very talented individuals, putting them into roles that are probably bigger than than they or or anyone else would think that they can fill. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of, of sort of early employees at Tandem and early employees, we probably shouldn't name them, it's a bit unfair, but early employees at both Asimo and, and Tandem who really changed the game. And and that's really nice because, you you know, you, you, you have somebody who's actually got – incredibly hungry to to run stuff and and does a phenomenal job and they actually also end up transfer, transforming their life because they they go into a role that is you know gives them a stepping stone into all sorts of good stuff so i think obviously it's it's hard not to be cliched when you're talking about the sort of big learnings but um ricky's ability to sort of identify talent and then sort of put it into bigger roles than it, it or um uh, you think that they can probably deal with is is, is something I've always been in awe of. And it's basically made a couple of our businesses much more successful than they would have been. Uh, the, the, be careful of leverage. Um, I think I probably learned balance sheet the hard way um, through the financial crisis 2009. And we're very lucky that we were sort of still here to tell the tale and we, we managed to you know keep hold of the company through those very tumultuous years. That was That was proper stressful. I remember being worried that we might be on the front page of the FT for the first time for all the wrong reasons. Having taken a regulated financial services business bust um, because of the because of the sort of leverage that we put in, so yeah, I've always been you know, use leverage widely or wisely, uh, not widely. I think would be another one, uh, and I'll give one more to Ricky. Sure. So I think there's a couple. So you know, one of the other things that that Mike and I was being pretty aligned on is is building purpose driven businesses, and yes. And and I think there's a, you know, depending on who you are, and 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 this extends much more to, to team members and employees, and even you know late employees in a in a larger venture. You know, I don't think anybody. I mean, some people just work for money. Uh, that that sort of limited uh, category, but most people work uh, and work much more effectively uh, for for some type of cause that they can get excited about. And um, and certainly that's the case for me. Certainly that's the case for Mike. So so I would say sort of my my lesson number one, if you like, is making sure first of all that you you build a a business. That, that that where where you feel passionate about the purpose and you believe in 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 the reason for this business existing to help the world rather than and look if you are a sociopath sorry uh, and and your only thing is money that's fine you know do that you're going to attract a certain type of employee there are some very successful businesses out there that I can point to uh, where you will get people who only want money to join you and work incredibly hard and and do some great things uh, but that's that that wasn't that wasn't our vibe. And therefore, you know, but making sure then, uh, and this is almost kind of lesson two is like, you know, say it, say it, say it again. You know, when you're running an organization, even a small organization, it's, 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 it's amazing how, you know, obviously, because your thoughts are in your head all day long. And so you think everybody's understood what you said. You think everyone identifies with the purpose. But, you know, 
Mike and I might be discussing the purpose on a regular basis. So you think it's been like discussed and mentioned, but you can't mention it too often. Like if you mention it 10 times a day, that's probably still not enough, you know? And, and every time like where you stand up and talk about, we always, you know, at, at Tandem, I'd always start with like, why are we here? What are we trying to build? What are we trying to do for the world? Um, and, and it feels super cheesy when you're saying it, but, um, uh, but just just actually reemphasizing, and you know, it might be a message other than purpose as well. Maybe your quarterly goals or whatever it is. But just over communicate massively because you know it's interesting coming back, like talking to people from Tandem twenty years later. I mean, we had this thing which we're building a good bank, um, and and you know, people come back to me in the, up in the pub and go, "Oh my god, I fucking love Tandem. It was amazing. You know, it was so good building a good bank." And they they use this phrase like, you know. Well, 10, 15 years later to sort of describe the, their experience of, of of working there. And and these things are incredibly important to people. So that's sort of say it again. I suppose the last one, and this is going to be, um, again, one that, uh, and by the way, say it again was, was as much, you know, uh, I think probably Mike's discovery before mine as well, just couldn't communicate uh, enough. And and the last one I do is, is, is dilution, and, and this was actually more my lesson than Mike's, and Mike's been pretty disciplined about not diluting himself too much. But obviously, when we started a bank, there's a there's a question and a challenge was raised by some investors, which is, oh shit, you're going to need an awful lot of money to do that. And indeed, we did need spent about 250 million pounds building a bank. As it turns out, pretty much everyone spent 250 million pounds building a bank, and apart from maybe our friend Nikolai who built Revolut who managed to um, continuously uh, uh, get, get away with some, some pretty monstrous valuations, uh, pretty much everybody diluted pretty heavily along the way. So, you know, making sure that, you know, that, that either you start a capital, a less capital intensive business, or uh, you have the chutzpah to go out there and, uh, and raise uh, at, at successively higher valuations and clear, vision for how you're going to achieve something that looks absolutely astonishing at each point of the way. Um, uh, otherwise, dilution can definitely come back and bite you in the ass uh, slash reduce your and your investors' returns. And you mentioned a few times building businesses. So two questions there. At which point did you know you will go and have your own businesses so you will be entrepreneurs? Was it always there or it sounds like Mike maybe was dragged into it a bit or... <laughs> I don't think that's true. Mike, so one thing Nick, Mike and I all had in common was all promoted club nights at university. So, you know, which is very much an entrepreneurial venture. Now, Mike was probably better at DJing than either Nick or I, but but, you know, and I actually had a clothing company at university as well, which was clubbing clothing, incidentally, called Sin Clothing. And the night was called Sin as well. No, no reason for that. Um, uh, and uh, and so, yeah, I think certainly and I weirdly, well, my American, my dad's side of the family were largely entrepreneurs. So it's something I was excited about really early on. Although you, you kind of forget if you translate yourself back through time. It was very unsexy. I mean, the 80s had a brief sort of Richard Branson flirtation where it was cool to be an entrepreneur. Mostly it wasn't. It was like, you know, sort of selling shit out the back of a van, of a wheelbarrow. There's this sort of buy, sell. You know, when you thought of an entrepreneur, it's certainly in the early 90s, like, you know, you were thinking about a, you know, a, a market trader, you know, and not a a glamorous tech guy. And, and you know, while in the very late 90s, obviously then, you know, 98, 99, you sort of had these tech entrepreneurs appearing really for the first time, you know, and, and it looking a little more glamorous to be, you know, Larry Page or Sergey Brin or one of these guys. But, they, you know, th but this was, you know, that was that was really a late 90s phenomenon. So, um, uh, so, so yeah, I think it was swimming against the tide a bit. What, what about you, Mike? I mean, obviously you were promoting club nights at, a, at an early age. But... I mean, uh, I just never really fitted in, in, in traditional jobs. I didn't get on with them. I didn't, they sort of felt a bit, either I felt that like I wasn't very good at them or I felt very shackled in, you know, in working for someone else. So I don't think, I think, it, I think you just, it, being unable to do a proper job, as you might say, kind of <laughs> led me to the path of doing, you know, becoming an entrepreneur. An I'm improper kind of glad job. I'm, it's called an improper job. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's an improper job. It's not. A, you know. It's um. It's yeah. Twenty four seven I mean, job. 
Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> indecent yeah, job. I mean, indecent job. Yeah. Not with too much work. Yeah. All right. but, I, but I spend, you know, quite a lot of time going into various, you know, business schools around the UK, far inferior to, to our one, obviously, and, and talking to people. And I just, I just like, just give it a go, guys. I mean, all if just, you know, and I know this is going to be listened to a bunch of old people, um, our peers. Sorry, young people, young and hard, young and hard people. Yeah, young and hard, yeah, insult your audience. It's never a good way of of carrying on, is it? But, you know, I just like, you know, I think think the best thing that's happened in the last 20 years is it's become okay to be an entrepreneur. And I think that is phenomenal. When I I left News Corp and and decided to start in business, everyone thought I was absolutely mad. (laughs) To, to, To some people said it politely, quite a lot of people said it very impolitely. But these days, you know, the idea of, you know, starting your own business, becoming an entrepreneur, doing a startup is, is kind of sort of socially accepted. In fact, you know, I think that's probably going to – the pendulum will swing back a little bit now that we've got a big economic downturn. But, you know, it's kind of like an acceptable career path, and I think that's phenomenal because we're not going to be – you know, the consultants and the bankers can't get us out of this sort of economic hole that we're in. So, yeah, get your kids to go – to give it a go. At least, you know, you can always do something else if you if it doesn't work and you, you'll probably be more employable and more effective for the rest of your life if you've done it. So I'm a big, big sort of cheerleader for entrepreneurism as a, as a profession, as a career choice. Super. So your take on leadership, what makes a good leader from your own experience and your observations around you, good and bad? Do you want me to kick off on that or you? Yeah, go on, go on, Ricky. Yeah. yeah. So look, I mean, uh, elite leadership, and it's funny because it's sort of because it's one word. You think it's one thing. It's really not one thing. And and there's you know so so I'm gonna I'll start from sort of purpose and inspiration, which is I think a, an an important aspect, but absolutely not enough. Is is to be able to inspire people and excite them about what they're going to do every day, even if sometimes the content, job content itself may be a bit boring. So inspiring folk is sort of where I'd start. But then I think I would, you know, and and this is something Mike's a tad stronger than me on, you know, actually organizing and marshalling human resources to achieve a goal, so executing is a really important part of leadership as well. Like, and 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 it doesn't sound as sexy, but it's probably more important than inspiring people. If you inspire people and then allocate the wrong resources to the wrong role, to the wrong job, the wrong time, you know, then I suppose a third piece, which again, sort of sexy sounding, um, but 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 sort of strategy and actually be able to. Uh, you can help with advisors, but unless you can tell between a good advisor and a bad advisor, you're in trouble. You know, so figuring out again what at a high level the themes of of how you're then going to organize and marshal those resources is is super super important. And and then I suppose the last piece that I'd throw in there, which sort of related to the first, but is is culture and 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 sort and and thinking about and being conscious about that culture and the way you're communicating uh, within an organization is is, is absolutely critical because it, it sustains the organization in in times when you're not there to do the leading, but you, it creates um, a, a sort of culture of leadership that then can, can be communicated down to the different ranks. When you grow a business and you've got multiple layers of, of leaders within the organization, uh, that culture allows them to sort of perform within that context. Yeah, anything from Mike? No, I mean, yeah, he's thought about this much harder than I have. That no, not much to add, except for just identifying talent. You know, it's I, I sort of if you're it's certainly in my, in my experience, if you have great leaders that sit underneath you, you can you know you can you can they can make you look good. No, that's actually <laughs> a really good like, point. And when you get to like guys um, like Jack Welsh, that's exactly what they were good at. Yeah, it's a very good point. Mm. I'm not sure I, I aspire to be like Jack Welsh, but you know, if you, recognizing talent and, and, and promoting it and, and, and encouraging it, nurturing it, and you know, giving it enough space to to make mistakes, um, but learn from them and you know, and do things people get people to do things their own way, I think is super important. But I'd agree with all of that, and I, w- I wouldn't say actually I'm a I'm a great leader. I'm probably in a, a better early stage company leader than my late stage company leader, but I've definitely learned a lot along the way. And if we stereotype the roles in a business, 
who is who, the two of you, how do you divide or it depends on which business we're talking about? I'm like the PR agent. I just sort of sit on the outside and talk shit. No, I'm, uh, no, I, um, yeah, well, I don't know. Well, how would you, how would you, how would you split it up, Mike? Uh, well, so in our first business, there were sort of three of us. I guess Ricky sort of raised the money and he's very good at that. Sell ice to the Eskimos uh, was always the, the expression that we used. And, and you can imagine, you know, uh, fast talking New Yorker um, with big ideas and a, and a world conquering um, plan and a team to execute on it. It went down very well. So we, and we were nothing if we didn't raise capital. So that, um, he was very good at that. I've kind of become a little bit better at raising capital over the years. Obviously, as a CEO of Asma, I've had to do that uh, sort of multiple rounds. Uh, I think we're both reasonably good at that stuff. I'm, I probably started off a little bit more operational than Ricky. I used to have a, a long set of bullet points that I come to every meeting and, and I'd try and sort of come out with. So I was probably more of the operational manager early on in our in our careers. I think both of us have grown towards each other in, in that direction. Ricky was maybe not the most organized manager in the early days. I think just slightly, more trying to be slightly more organized. Just, just trying to be diplomatic here. But we'll get it, man we'll who get it, he, other people to be organized for me. Yeah, yeah who, didn't, who didn't who didn't read Milena's beautifully organized briefing document until we got on this call. But yeah, no, I think, yeah, less complementary skills than you might think, actually. I think we've got quite similar skills. Uh, I then I think we're, we're, Ricky hired some really good people in the early days. And I, and I've really learned from that. You know that I I wasn't as good at hiring talent as as Ricky is. Um, and he's just got a way of of talking to people and getting you know behind under the skin of people working out what makes them tick. And he's he's like all of the best hires I think that I've made have had sort of you know Ricky in there at some point. So yeah. An interesting one for me actually, which which I I mean I mentioned culture before, but actually something that I hadn't done and didn't know anything about before we started was was branding, and and not that Mike uh, had had a massive branding background, but he actually considered it super important. And I remember when we were small world, really really pushed the agenda on you know building a modern brand, understanding it, defining it, and did a great job as well as Mo, and even you know sat in the tandem process as well to to figure out how we how we did that, which is sort of, it's like the, and it's an interesting one because I think probably 20 years ago was a separate process to culture because you could, you could sort of project a bullshit brand and, and not project your internal culture. I think that's got a lot harder, you know, the internet's uh, and, you know, everything from Glassdoor to, you know, you can really look inside a company quite easily and it's quite easy to see incongruence. And I think particularly in B2C businesses, customers really get pretty upset if, you know, if there's a total incongruence between the internal culture and the and the external brand of business. So, you know, that those two have come closer together. But Mike certainly taught me a lot about about the value of branding and how to think about the process and uh and, and how then that relates to the internal cultural aspects. Great. So to wrap it up here, uh what would you tell future entrepreneurs? One, one line. One future inside entrepreneurs or just future entrepreneurs in general? Well, let's keep it in the family. Let's say future inside <laughs> entrepreneurs. Do you want to kick off Mike or me? Mike sure. Um, I just, so I think the interesting thing is uh, get started early. So, you know, the opportunity cost uh, as you get older is, is, is goes up of, of going out and not having any, not having a salary and, you know, not being able to, you know, earn the big bucks that you coughed and are on offer if you sort of go the corporate route. So I think I, I actually wish I'd I'd started earlier than I did. I know I think consulting's interesting for maybe a year or two, but after that, I think you should really kick out on your own because you don't really start learning until you do it. So yeah, I think that my number one thing would be uh, start early. My number two thing we've alluded to all the way through this podcast is find yourself a a business partner, probably not your best friend. But definitely not your worst enemy. Um, probably <laughs> some kind of complementary skills is useful. And, um, you know, make sure you've got somebody to share the journey with. That's what I tell them. So, yeah, and, and from my from my end, and, and, and Mike's already echoed this, but, you know, kind of just get on with it. I mean, one of the things I've heard endlessly from various people is, oh, I don't have an idea or, you know, or I don't have – 
the capital or I don't have a business partner. Like, you know, all of these things kind of come together in, in different ways. And I mean, even the two businesses that, that, that I've set up with Mike recently, you know, if I'm honest, like the idea and we faffed around a little bit on one of them kind of trying to hire an external kind of CEO. And actually what we need to do is just get the fuck on with it. And, uh, and, 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 you know, the, the idea, you know, it's, 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 it's morphed and it, it, it reshapes. And when you go out to raise capital, which actually interesting reflection, because we're, we're, we're doing this at the moment, um, you know, you, you discover that, you know, the, the market doesn't want this and that, and it wants that and the other. And, and, you know, you can, I mean, you know, until you've built a lot of infrastructure, uh, a lot of code or, or a lot of people, then, then there's a lot that can be, you know, be fairly fluid. So, you know, when you get going, you learn a lot more about the opportunity. And so just, just, just start, just start, just sit down and start, whether it's planning or, you know, quitting your day job or, you know, all the rest of it, just, just get the hell on with it. And, um, uh, and, 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 and I would say like, it's got a hell of a lot easier. And, um, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, starting a business today is, you know, all the admin stuff. I mean, ironically, I was on the phone with Seed Legals before you guys came, but like this stuff was like expensive, like tens of thousands of pounds. And, you know, and it took a long time. And I've, you know, set up a company. You can, you can do your investment rounds. It costs a couple grand. You know, you, you, you can, you can pretty much sort everything out. I'm not recommending Seed Legals a particular platform. There's lots of people who do this, but, you know, but the admins got a lot easier, building codes easier, even getting some grunt assistance from ChatGPT has got a lot easier. You know, a, a million different aspects of, of the journey have just have, have, have simplified themselves. Uh, I mean, even actually on the branding exercise we we're just doing, we use a lot of mid-journey and other stuff. It's so much quicker to generate imagery ideas, et cetera, et cetera, uh, than it was, you know, 20 years ago. So, so get, so again, comes back to, I suppose, get on with it. Um, uh, and, 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 and coming back to, I suppose, Mike's third piece. And, and I think it's finding a business part of it. It's also finding those early team members because one of my interesting things and, 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 and I would a, a side lesson from, uh, from tandem and it doesn't always work for startups, but if you've got some recruiter friends or exec search friends, getting them to, you know, it's, it is occasionally I've thought in the past in my career that these people weren't adding as much value uh, as, as it might actually, if you're starting a business and somebody's willing to make some intros for you, it's almost the most important thing. Like they can make 20 intros ideally for free. <laughs> to people who might join you on your journey, like that person can, even if it's just learning from those people, you know, just asking, we had a very friendly recruiter, Paul Stegall, who, who was at Carbon Search at Tandem. And honestly, we couldn't have started a bank. Like I had no idea how to run a bank, how to manage bank, how to apply for a banking license. And he was able to introduce me to the whole other people in banking, having never worked in banking, I didn't have any idea, um, who were who were able to actually help me on that journey and make those first few steps. So yeah, you can check <laughs> give, give your money, give your money to this man. Exactly. Who has no idea. Always. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Maybe we can end with that. We have no idea. We're paying so a very good savings rate. <laughs> Tandem is currently paying a top of the market savings rate. So please do deposit your money yeah. if you're in the UK. Exactly. Or join for more, uh, which is our new wealth club, or or indeed help save the world with carbon boys. <laughs> I'm loving it. All right. So listen, so tell me, tell me. Well, you've you've pretty much said, but are there more INSEAD connections than the most obvious ones being you and your business partner and you and your life partner, Mike? Any other INSEAD well, and of course, Nick in the uh, in in the first venture, etc. So, uh, so I um well, actually, we raised money. Um, some of the angels uh, in our very earliest rounds at Asimo were were, were raised to the uh, Asimo, well, no, the Etihad uh, Angel Club. You know, we made those guys the ten to fifty x return. I think it's fifty x actually if they came in the first round. So yeah, we sort of that was a that was a good Etihad connection. 
didn't get very much money from them, but it was useful. Um, I, my sort of my superstar COO in the business, you know, often compared to Atlas holding the world up of, of the business, really did every role across the sort of eight years she was with the business. Ex INSEAD, you know, phenomenal lady, um, and, you know, and now friend. Um, so that was, you know, I've, I've had a bunch of INSEAD talent through the business and it's, it's it almost invariably, you know, top tier. There's just something about that sort of pragmatic, get it done, um, but also super smart, which you just don't seem to, doesn't seem to come out in the same way from other business schools. I'm, I'm obviously biased. I have, uh, I guess, just just shamelessly milked the INSEAD network. Um, as of a, we, we formed relationships with banks all over the world. I think we had 70, 80 different banks on our network um, in lots of sort of far-flung and exotic places. Uh, you know, we're in the Philippines and Nigeria and Colombia. And I shamelessly milked the um, INSEAD network. Every time I flew to one of those destinations, there was somebody to have a drink with, give me the lie of the land have a have a have a few jokes about welcome week uh get drunk um, and just have a good time so um i think that's kind of like that's and then obviously an international uh network of of of, of party people so it's rarely anywhere that i go to in the world where i can't meet up with people and have a great time so that, that i'm i'm phenomenally grateful to it so yeah i guess built my business gave me my business partner gave me my wife and and you know, gave me all the talent, a lot, of, a big chunk of the talent that, that has made me successful. So yeah, uh, I don't want to be, you know, I'm sort of British, particularly Scottish. So this still feels a bit distasteful to be this enthusiastic about something. But yeah, it's definitely <laughs> been a, it's been a, it's been a great thing uh, for me in Seattle. But that's for sure. The American may feel less embarrassed about being exuberant. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, the I, India didn't get me a wife. I'm feeling a bit cheated, but uh, didn't lose me and my wife, which did most other people. So, uh, so maybe I should thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for all those people who held back at the right moment. No, I'm kidding. Uh, and and uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I I'd add kind of uh, a, a lot of friends, and I know uh, Sophie uh, celebrated with a whole load of of her posse in Ibiza um, reasonably recently. Uh, actually, at, on Wednesday night, just two nights ago, had Rahima, Nanik, and Rajiv, who I'd not seen for a very long time, come along to uh, one of our four more launch events, which was super fun. Uh, interesting, they actually had about four other insiders there that were from other promos and things uh, at the uh, at the event. But yeah, it's been been extremely useful um, as a and and as you get older. These people get more and more successful and go on to do cooler, uh, cooler and cooler things. So it's often quite fun just catching up and 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 finding out what they're, uh, um, you know, what they're up to. In fact, I had a another a, a, an entertaining Glastonbury connection with uh, with Peter Reed, who's one of my favorite partiers, uh, but was at INSEAD about ten years above us um, and was one of the UK's most successful entrepreneur, uh, well, sort of angels and. Uh, and, and had, a, had an inspiring time with him. So, you know, it can even be useful in, in finding you random party partners. There you go. All right. And how do you think, therefore, about giving in general and then giving back to INSEAD in all the forms? I'm not talking just money, but what's your philosophy on or how do you think about it? Do you want to start, Mike, or me? Well, I'm Scottish, so I don't like giving any money away. <laughs> but... but uh, it pains me, but um, but yeah, no. So both Ricky and I are, are, are supporters of a something called Founders Pledge, which I would anyone who's not aware of it, I sort of suggest that you'll Google it. It's a, it's a, I guess it's um, it's a scheme whereby you pledge a percentage of your net worth in the future on the basis of any exits that you have as a founder. Uh, I think you could also do it as a VC or. A, there's the different lines of work, but um, we're both participants to that, and we've sort of both written reasonably chunky checks towards um, towards Founders Pledge because I do think that's an important part of of giving. We're both INSEAD donors, um, and I'm pretty sure we're going to be tapped up by Milena either during this call or after this call to to become larger INSEAD donors. Um, I think that's a I think it's a special place, and I think it's important that it's a place we support. Uh, I've always had a little bit of a problem with, you know, sort of the, the the administration not being as efficient as it as it could be. And certainly when I was there, they were 
they 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 weren't necessarily the it wasn't the, the the best run business school in the world, but I think things are improving a lot. So yeah, I'm quite um I'm quite happy to, to donate to to um INSEAD. and then I kind of like giving a lot of my time and quite a lot of my capital to you know early stage businesses, and I see that as a sort of a way of of, of giving back. Obviously, I'm looking for an economic return and a thousand x on on my investment, but uh, I quite enjoy doing that as well. So yeah, we're we're pretty um, and I think that kind of stuff becomes more and more important. I think the other thing that people can do and gets um, gets sort of negated a little bit is uh, I get a lot of inbound emails from INSEADers, people who are either currently there or have just graduated or are looking to change careers. And I, I try and give, and I think we we probably everyone on this podcast, uh, listening to this podcast gets the same thing. I try and give people that time because I know it's, you know, time is our most valuable resource these days, but try and sort of to, to have some stories and some words of encouragement. I, I called a couple of people um, post INSEAD out of the blue and they were both very generous with their time. Uh, Ricky and I both sort of tapped up the INSEAD network for, for money and, and advice over the years. And it's been very, and people have been very generous with it. So yeah, I think that's, that's the important bit. Yeah. Obviously it's about the dollars, but it's about the time and, and sort of, helping the the next generation coming through to navigate and maybe they allow them to make a different set of mistakes to the ones that we made. Ricky? Yeah, and I think, yeah, so look, I mean, interesting on the sort of Founders Pledge front, they've got to focus on efficient altruism, which is something I'm quite interested in, which is like sort of amplifying your impact and your giving. You know, interestingly, I think like the NCN Scholarship Fund that, that you've set up is actually an interesting way of doing that because you're bringing somebody in who might have an outsized impact as an individual. And I think individuals are probably in a way that one way that you can uh, you can amplify your impact. The, you know, part of the reason why, you know, Mike and I built the other business we're working on right now, Carbontricity, is because we want to have an impact on, on climate change and the planet. And uh, we've amassed some pretty respectable business building skills and so you know this is a business where that i feel is is sort of striking at the heart of 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 one of the potentially most high leverage areas of 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 of, you know reducing carbon emissions which is a little less speculative which is basically the rollout of wind and solar and particularly in the developing world so we're helping wind and solar uh projects get funded access subsidies in, in the developing world. These are super efficient, you know, totally mature technologies uh, that just need to be rolled out faster. We need to uh, transition away from oil, coal, et cetera, more quickly. And and right now, you know, we can sit here and feel great in the UK because we're probably over 50% renewables, but actually uh, we're not where the problem is. So trying to drive that into the rest of the world more quickly than it's happening today, um, I think is where we can have quite an outsized impact um uh in terms of um in terms of the impact side of i suppose giving rather than just the um the 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 the, the monetary side yeah all right thank you for that and keep giving keep giving i will mm-hmm. knock on your door you give every now year in october varies. so <laughs> now we come to the end of this so it's the quick round of questions you had them in advance ricky has not read them so let's see how that's gonna go <laughs> I start and then you go. So first question, proudest achievement. Uh, this is going to be quick fire, isn't it? So I'd say family, wife, friends. Uh, and after that, Asimo. Yeah, I mean, uh, daughters, having not fallen out with my business partner over, over 20 years. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, I don't know, having built a bank, maybe. Success for you is? This is interesting. So it's, it's, it's changed over the years. I mean, it used to be money. It's not money anymore. It's it's the ability to see people that you've worked with going on to to flourish and and get good jobs and sort of achieve things that you think they probably or well they maybe actually they think they might not be able to achieve had they not worked with you or an organisation set up by you. So other people's success is the secret of success. I'm going to be slightly cheesier, and I'm going to say love. Now, what I mean by love is having uh, loving relationships with your your the main people in your life, your family, etc., but also with your friends. Happiness is. Well, so I would say love there actually. <laughs> well done, Ricky. <laughs> Should I yeah, shot I don't know. Emily, I got the question. Yeah, yeah. Well. yeah. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I joking beforehand yeah. that uh, you know Ricky comes out with the big guns. Yeah. No, I think uh, <laughs> uh, happiness. Your your health is your wealth. 
I think being healthy and uh, having the people around you be healthy is is incredibly important. Yeah, uh, and and yeah, just oh, happiness is is being around people that you love and love you. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it take it more contemporary and say dancing in the field with Mike and some other very good friends to Fat Boy Slim as he like drops the third awesome track uh, on uh, Saturday afternoon in the park. There you go. Biggest regret. I don't believe in regret. Everything happens for a reason. I don't know regret. I have to, I have to think about that one. There was that really bad night with the four farm animals. No, I know. No, I know. I, I, I'm going to stop there. Oh, yeah. Sure. What keeps you awake at night? Used to be business. And now it's worrying about my kids. My dog really annoyingly wakes up in the night, barks at foxes sometimes, like really irritating. No, I used to have a very productive period at like 4 a.m. if I woke up early where I actually had my best business ideas. But uh, yeah, I've been doing just waking up at 4 a.m. a little bit less. Oh, yeah, bit. yeah. My bladder. That's what keeps me awake at night. <laughs> Getting right. older. Wish you had known or someone had told you. Oh, I didn't actually get far down this list of your bullet points, Melania. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll go for this one. I'll go for this one. So, yeah, go. So I, 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 you know, whenever you're in a pickle, think about it in retrospect. So, I mean, uh, so, so the, I just remember like the first time things were absolutely fucked and falling apart as an entrepreneur you know, it did seem like the world was actually going to end, but my life didn't end. Mike's life didn't end. My, you know, friends and family were still there afterwards. And actually, when you look back at it, you were like, actually, that wasn't really that bad. Maybe I shouldn't have thrown that table at that banker. But, you know, other than that, it was uh, no. But generally, like, and, and actually I had an interesting moment with uh, my sister. I won't give the details, but uh, with, with exactly that, like on Sunday, where I was able to sort of pull her out of uh, her current um uh, perspective and just go hey hang on this is gonna be totally fine so yeah it's gonna be totally fine it's probably the advice if you had to do it all over again what would you change would have gone to lbs nothing. No, <laughs> <laughs> nothing honestly this is like regrets yeah you know this this you know everything happens for a reason i'm you know mm. very happy with the way that things that things are yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe I would have started. Maybe I would have started earlier. earlier as an started earlier. I was going to say that one. Started a bit earlier. You know, I did. I mean, I did. Yeah, I don't know. They were all a bit useful on the way through, but you know, yeah, could have started earlier. All right, retirement for you guys. Ever? Never? <sighs> What's retirement? Well, arguably, I'm already retired. But um, no, <laughs> the, 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 the answer. The answer would be like. never. The, the answer would be never. I want to keep doing things that I love with people that I like forever. That's the plan. And we actually talked about this uh, last weekend and it's more like, it's more like a wind down. Like, you know, it's kind of like you might have done seven days a week, you know, 20 years ago, you know, I prefer to keep it under six at the moment, you know, and there will be a time when I want to do two days a week, you know, and I just don't have the energy anymore. The energy hasn't left me yet, but. It will. It will eventually. Mm. All right. If you had to pick one book, everyone should read. Oh, I know. The Philosophy of Money by Morgan Housel. Phenomenal book. In fact, every that's the one one thing out of this podcast. Read that book. It will change the way that it's. Um, it talks about money, happiness, the way that you feel about people you love and money and it's it's i wish i'd read it earlier actually that's a that's a, it's a phenomenal book um i'm also reading about the stoics at the moment so the emperor marcus aurelius which is quite cool so yeah that's that's worth a try if you've never done it before thank you ricky uh, uh, my, my one is going to be actually one that i i read at intiad so it's more for current intiaders than our guys which was what color is your parachute which actually we did i think we studied even somewhat which which i just found super uh, I hadn't really thought about things in that in that from that perspective before. So, and it's not even specifically for business school people. I but tried to rewrite really it after instead. So, yeah, most admired public person Mandela. I have some South African roots, and I think uh, he's an example for everything that political leadership in the face of adversity can, and bringing people together can be. Can I tell you, you are the second one who picks him out, but I'm not going to tell you who's the first one. 
Oh, we have to go you listen have to the to podcast, listen do we? To the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. No, I, 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 I got asked this the other day and, and, and I really, really struggled to answer it. You know, you sort of end up a bit like sort of Gandhi or something. And Mandela's a little along the Gandhi lines of kind of, you know, somebody who is genuinely wise. Yeah. So, yeah, struggle slightly, I would say. But yeah, let's go with that. Let's go with Gandhi just for fun. Shall we try with your most despised public person? Oh, plenty of those. Donald Trump. It's a bit unoriginal. Hitler. Okay. Boris Johnson. You know, <laughs> all these people, all these people who've been brought, who, all the people who brought the sort of the, the leadership and the, the, the office of, you know, the highest um, elected office into disrepute. Um, I have a, I have very little time for. Um, I, I, and controversially, I would say that I'm on the fence about Mark Zuckerberg. Um, I think the sort of we kind of we we really missed a beat in terms of regulation and controls around the internet, but in particular social media, the impact it has on young people, old people's uh, mental health, and um, I think we're living in the world west at the moment. I think Facebook and and their ilk are sitting on an awful lot of information that they know what the, the harm that as as well as the good that their technology can do, and I just don't really think they're doing enough about it. I think we're in a sort of potentially in a Philip Morris type situation. No offense to all my Philip Morris friends out there. Yeah, so I I, I really worry about the sort of pernicious nature and and, um, mental health impact of social media. And I wish that the leaders in those industries would do more to recognize it and and change things. I'm with you there. All right, the last question, last, last. Are you coming to reunion? Absolutely is the answer to that question. Um, I'm definitely there. And in fact, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna break this to you now, Milena, because it's public forum, so you can't abuse me too much. But I was hoping to host a party on the Saturday, but now that I realize we're in the chateau, DJ to one, I think I may host a party on the Friday. So I, I apologize, as I know people may be slightly rougher on Saturday, but I thought I'd best do it. So, but I, I use this strategy with my wife sometimes. I wait till we've got guests over, and then I break the worst news. I'll have to speak to you about this after the call. <laughs> All right. Well, well, that was with Mike. Mike, but you didn't tell me. Are you coming to reunion? Yeah, no. Or so I will also twist. I'll, I'll, I'll twist the English language to its limits and and parrot Ricky's phrase. Absolutely. <laughs> there you go. Well, super. So the, I couldn't keep it a secret with you. These were Ricky Knox and Mike Kent. Mike and Ricky, you know, partners in crime or not crime, well, financial services for 20 crime, years. Crime, crime. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. It was entertaining, but you totally messed up my script and everything. So let's yeah, see how we deal with this. It's all right. Thank you. And we'll see you latest in Fonti, probably before. Love Thank you, Elena. Thank you so much. You were listening to the Republic of INSEAD 20 Years Later O3D Podcast Edition. It is my hope to remind everyone what an interesting and dare I say colorful bunch of people we are and how much we can contribute to each other, be it through ideas, knowledge or mere inspiration. The podcast is inspired by the original Republic of INSEAD yearbook produced on paper 20 years ago by Oliver Bradley and team. Thank you, Oli and team, for this contribution to our class's memory and for letting me continue in the tradition, title and inspiration included. Creator and author of the Republic of INSEAD 20 Years Later O3D Podcast Edition am I, Milena Ivanova. Original music by Peter Dundakov with help from Dare Films Productions. Stay tuned for more and remember to book your tickets for the 20-year reunion in Fontainebleau, October 6th, 8th, 2023. Thank you for listening.